Have you heard what's happening in Calgary, Canada? Home to some of the world's best researchers and innovators in life sciences, Calgary is advancing healthcare solutions to solve global challenges. Calgary's dedication to the life sciences sector is evident in its labs, hospitals, schools, and the minds of its people. With its top institutions producing internationally recognized research and more than 110 life science companies backed by a highly skilled pool of talent, the life sciences sector is accelerating innovation in Calgary. If you're a bright mind or a bright company, Calgary is just the place for you. Take a closer look at calgarylifesciences.com. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. About 70% of daily deaths are caused by aging or age-related diseases. The newly formed Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, or A4LI, is an independent nonprofit advocating for greater investment in scientific research, new measures to recognize the value of extending healthy life expectancy, and steps to expedite the development of gerotherapies and regenerative medicines. We spoke to Sonia Arison chair of the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, about the need the new organization is seeking to address, its agenda, and how therapeutic advances may alter our notions of longevity. Sonia, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. We've spoken in the past through our sister show, the BioVerge podcast with Neil Littman about your activity as an investor in the longevity space. And I encourage listeners to look that episode up and listen to it. Today, though, I want to focus on a new role you're taking on as chair of the newly created Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. In your book, 100 Plus, How the Coming Age of Longevity Will Change Everything from Careers and Relationships to Family and Faith, you say the first person to live to 150 has probably already been born. You wrote that about a decade ago. Has your perspective changed in any way? Yeah, it's incredible that a decade has gone by. (laughs) Um, uh, Not really. Uh, I I still believe that that's true. Um, I guess the the way in which my perspective might have changed is, you know, I'm a decade older and so are you. Um, And, uh, you know, I really, as I usually say at the end of every talk I give, I don't want to be part of the last generation to only live to a life expectancy of, you know, 80. I want to be one of the first generation to have a life expectancy of 150. And it's unclear if that will happen for my generation, but it's certainly going to happen, um, you know, for for young for younger people. So, um, so, yeah, so I am. So I, that's and that and that's exactly why I'm working with the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, because we have to get this stuff um, moving faster so that uh, so more people can be healthier for longer. We have this unfortunate paradox in the United States that life expectancy 
fell to its lowest level in 20 years in part due to COVID, but we stopped seeing gains a decade ago. That's largely due to the opioid epidemic. Despite this, we're on the cusp of advances that have the potential to extend life in ways that would have been unimaginable in earlier generations. There are some who have suggested human life won't be able to get beyond 120 years or so. Is there any scientific reason to believe there's an upper limit on human life? Well, the only reason to believe that there would be an upper limit on human life is that you're just a complete pessimist. <laughs> um, you know, uh, my, my father, who, who's a scientist, always, always tells a story about when he um, was in third grade and he told his teacher, Mrs. Barlow, that uh, someday man would go to the moon and she put him in the corner and made him wear a dunce hat. Because who would be so stupid to say that man would go to the moon someday, Right. And I, you know, this is this is a problem that you know we we're always facing. Is that any time that there's something really big and really hard to do, there's going to be a lot of people, even a lot of expert people, who are going to say, um, you know, it can't be done. Um, and if if you look back to to my book, 100 plus. Um, uh, I, I cite a number of examples. You know, one of them is uh, this guy named Lewis Dublin, who was uh, a well-known uh, statistician for MetLife. Uh, and in 1928, uh, he said that longevity would uh, or life expectancy would never exceed 64.75 years. And in, and in 1928, uh, life expectancy was 57. So that's what he said. People <laughs> believed him. He was the expert. We will never live past, you know, 64, 64.75 years. And, you know, well, you know, they, they, who could predict all all the various, um, you know, scientific and and and, um, you know, revolutions that would happen in, in science and, and technology and medicine and, um, and, and lifestyle. I mean, there's all these things that contribute to why, uh, why people are living longer and better today. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be pessimists, uh, but then there's always the optimists. And, um, you know, if, if you look at uh, work done by a demographer, James Vopel, who, who's done some really great work, um, he, he has this paper where he shows that there's at least 13 estimates uh, by organizations like the World Bank and the United Nations that have, that have said the life expectancy would never pass a certain number. And it has passed them already 13 times. <laughs> and, and these are well-respected, well-known you know, organizations. Um, and, and, and he points out that in the second half of the 20th century, gains in life expectancy generally are happening because of improvements in people's health past age 65. So, you know, some people argue that, oh, yes, well, our life expectancy is really shot up because of things that we've done to save people at the beginning of life. And so, you know, uh, battling infectious diseases and the discovery of like antibiotics and, um, and all of those things. And yes, those have helped us live longer. Um, and, you know, better sanitation, uh, all those types of things. Um, but we're also getting better at fighting things that kill us uh, later on in life, like heart disease and cancer. And, of course, we haven't cured those things yet, but, but we're on our way um, to, to having better and better solutions uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, life expectancy, if you look at the numbers, the, uh, if you look back at the numbers, life expectancy has been growing. Despite setbacks here and there, life expectancy has been growing at a pace of two and a half years uh, every decade since 1940. And that, and it's been linear that way. Um, and so I, I think we can still expect that. And maybe we can expect more than that if we have some truly revolutionary things happen in, uh, in the next few years. And, and as you think about what's possible, 
where do you see us heading in terms of longevity and not just in terms of living longer for the sake of living longer, but in terms of living healthier and living with more abilities at a later age? Right. And that's the thing is that nobody wants just longevity. That's silly, right? I mean, people want to be healthier for a longer period of time. They don't want to just live long and be sick. (laughs) So let's just get that straight off the bat. Even though our alliance is called the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, it's really the longevity, the alliance for health span. You know, we want to be healthier for, for a longer period of time. So, um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of different strategies uh, on the horizon. And, you know, scientists are thinking about different ways to keep us healthier for longer periods of time. Like, you know, like you mentioned a little earlier, uh, replacing parts, replacing organs, growing organs in the lab. And that's sort of this like vintage car idea that as things break down in the human body, we can, uh, you know, grow them and replace them and, and, and keep us keep the human body, um, you know, healthier and running well, kind of like we do a vintage car. And then there's some scientists that say, no, 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 that is not the way to do it. And there's big, big debates, by the way, within the scientific community. They get very heated and angry at each other. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's the other, uh, the other camp that says, no, what we've really got to do is rejuvenate the whole body. We, re- we need to slow down whole body aging. If we just slow down the rate of aging, then everything stays healthier for a longer period of time. Um, and so then there's those people and. Uh, and, and that was kind of the state of things when I wrote my book uh, a decade ago. And now uh, something has changed since then that, that I'm very happy about because it was, it was a big glaring thing that was missed uh, or it was missing back then because the science hadn't advanced quite as much as we had, as much as I had hoped anyway, uh, back then. Um, and that, that's the brain. You know, the brain, it's not just about replacing hearts and livers. And I mean, it, that stuff matters. Uh, but the brain is really, really key to all of this. Um, and of course, if you had a whole body solution, it would impact the brain. But the, the replacement parts uh, strategy was missing that. And, um, and now there's researchers working on rejuvenating just brain parts as well. And so that's, that's now part of the larger picture. And then on top of all of that, um, you know, you can step back from all of that, which that's the really revolutionary stuff. And you say, look, we already can see, and you know, I, I am an, I'm an investor in longevity technologies as well as, you know, writing about it and thinking about policy. And I can see companies that are out there right now who are creating better predictive technology and better scans to find diseases at super early stages. So like if you have cancer, you find it before it even sort of takes hold and you can um, it's much easier to fight when it's when it's early on like that, and that will have a big impact as well. And so, there's a lot of uh, a lot of different ways that we're going to be improving our health in the future. Well, that's interesting. As you think about the potential for longevity, where do you think those biggest gains are going to come from? Are they going to come from better understandings of of health and disease? Is it going to come from regenerative therapies or, or something else? I think it's going to come from all of it, to be honest. I mean, like I said, there's these these big battles in the science community about who's right about, you know, the parts or the whole body or, you know, it's, honestly, it's probably going to be both. I mean, and because there won't be the whole body thing, it'll, it probably won't do the whole body, but maybe it'll do a whole part of a system and, and then you'll still replace parts at the same time. And I mean, I can imagine all of these things actually working together in tandem and better drugs, better vaccines. We saw during COVID that we're able now to produce 
sort of more precise, quicker vaccines than we ever were before. And, you know, there's there's a lot of um, and, you know, think about new technologies like exosomes, these little FedEx packages that move around in your body and can deliver payloads that most people don't even know about. Um, there's there's all these wonderful things happening right now that really are going to make a significant measurable difference in in people's lives. Well, many of our listeners may never heard of the Alliance for Allergenity Initiatives. This is a, a newly launched initiative. What is it and what's its mission? Oh, well, our mission. So our mission is to, um, you know, advocate for policies that uh, advance uh, health spans, right? So we are the first 501c4 that um, that exists to advocate for, for longevity initiatives. Uh, and what that means, if you don't know what a 501c4 is, it's sort of the nonprofit lingo, but we're the only organization that can legally uh, speak with politicians and advocate for legislation. Um, that, that kind of uh, group doesn't exist yet. And, and well, now it does, but it didn't before, before we existed. And so we plan to um, not only uh, educate politicians, but educate the public um, and have uh, real input on legislation that can affect health spans and, and uh, American longevity, world longevity, really. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a big mission and it's super important. And I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. Well, how, how did this all come about? What need did you see that you're trying to address? Well, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of needs that exist. Um, boy, where to start? Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I, uh, I do some investing in the longevity space. So, you know, some people might think of that as, you know, biotechnology or, um, nanotechnology or, you know, I invest in all those sorts of areas. And, you know, for some of my companies, they're, they are creating anti-aging medicines. Um, but they can't, when they create their medicine and, you know, eventually every medicine needs to go through the FDA, uh, they can't go to the FDA and say, hey, uh, I'm creating a medicine for, to fight aging to, the, because there's, there's, no, there's no pathway for that. There's a pathway for anti-cancer drugs. There's a pathway for um, diabetes drugs. There's a pathway for heart disease drugs, but there's no pathway for anti-aging drugs. That just doesn't exist. And so since it doesn't exist, you can't get approved for it, um, which, is, which creates this weird situation where the companies that are doing anti-aging stuff have to pretend that there's something else. And I shouldn't say pretend. They have, to, they have to categorize themselves as something narrower than they actually are. Because when they're really an anti-aging drug, if, if it says a whole body anti-aging drug, it's going to fix your heart and your diabetic problem. And it's going to fix all of these things all at once, right? And so, well, which one do you choose? Right. And so then they say, OK, well, I'm a cancer company or OK, I'm a heart disease company. But really, in, in, in reality, they're they're an everything company because those diseases, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all, all, Alzheimer's, those are all diseases of aging. They become more likely the older you get. Yeah, there was some years ago, there was a, a bit of controversy where there was a declaration that obesity was a disease. Is, is there some need to think of aging as a disease? Yes, you know, and that is very that surprising to me. That's controversial as well. That aging is a disease because I guess I'll try to take the other perspective. I think uh, people who think it's controversial look at it and say, "Well, it can't be a disease. Everyone has it." 
Um, and yes, everybody does have it. But, you know, you, if you think that a disease is something that causes a decline in your health, you know, aging causes a decline in your health. So the other, the flip side is that, well, maybe it's a disease because it causes a decline in health, but really that's all semantics. And, you know, whether we like it or not, we are all aging. The moment we're born, we start aging. And, um, and nobody, uh, nobody is exempt from that. And, uh, and, and, it, and it causes, uh, you know, the older you get, the more diseases um, can hit you. So uh, whatever you want to call it, it, it needs to be addressed. I know this is a new organization. Uh, who who are its memberships, or where do you expect its membership, its members to come from? Well, I, th- I think it'll it'll be broad uh, on the whole because I think a lot of people support this agenda, right? I mean, and and we're bipartisan, by the way. And I, I feel like this is one of the few areas left in American life where you can be truly bipartisan, where people could truly come together from both parties and say, yes. We do want to live longer. We want to be healthier for longer periods of time. And let's get together and work for that. Um, and so, you know, I, I really do think that this will be a, uh, a very broad membership. It'll be people from all over the country, from all walks of life who, who support what we're doing and support the legislation that we're supporting. Um, and then if you want to drill down into kind of more narrow constituencies, I think uh, obviously, you know, biotech companies uh, or nanotech companies, those kind of companies that are working on creating the, the longevity medicines um, will will certainly want to be part of it. The Alliance wants to break down barriers to longevity science. I, I, I thought we could walk through some of those barriers and, and have you talk a little about what the Alliance is hoping to do. The, the first is the lack of a clinical trial pathway for therapies targeting ages, aging. What's the problem and, and how should it be addressed? Well, this is just like I mentioned before, there's no, um, there's no clear pathway for, for longevity companies. So they have, they have to, they have to fit themselves into some other, you know, peg in order to, uh, to get their therapy approved by the government. I mean, is there a a potential to have a, an FDA pathway for diseases of aging or not, not diseases of aging, but aging therapies themselves? Yes, I think so. And I, I, I think, really the uh the thing will be over what to call it because like you just like the is aging a disease or not well who cares i mean there just there just has to be a pathway for for aging therapies right maybe we call them aging therapies and leave it at that and forget about the whole disease thing um we're all aging and we all need a therapy for it and 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 the fda to its credit has is already recognizing this. Um, so this is not, uh, this is not going to be something brand new that they've never heard of. They've, uh, they've been thinking about this for a while and I know they've held some hearings and things. So, um, so I think it'll, it'll be something that happens and it's just a question of, you know, how, how is it going to be, what, what kind of language will be around it? And, and I, I guess it's a premature question, but would you expect functional tests as endpoints or biomarkers? Right. Yes. No, that's a very good question. Um, and, yeah. And, and, and that does need to be worked out. Um, I, th- I think biomarkers make sense. And so I think, um, you know, that a lot of work has been done on biomarkers to date. And it's, you know, while things are not completely clear on which biomarkers are best, uh, I, I think it would be okay for the FDA to start investigating biomarkers and sort of um, and using them maybe along with functional tests. 
The second issue the organization has talked about is funding for aging research. What's the problem and what would you like to see done? Right. Well, that is a problem. Uh, it's actually a huge problem from the perspective of how how big, I mean, aging is causes an enormous amount of disease and we spend very little money as a society trying to fight it. Um, you know, like 70% of daily deaths are age-related and we're, the NIA, Division of Aging Biology, only gets less than 0.007% of the U.S. budget. <laughs> so, I mean, it's crazy. Like the NIH gets $42.9 billion. The NIA, which is part of the NIH, gets like $3.8 billion of that. But only $322 million is going to, to aging research. Yet aging is arguably one of our biggest problems. And so things are really turned around. And I think it's because... Um, you know, I, th this is still a new area the, the idea, if you go back and read my book, the idea that aging is plastic is relatively new, say in the last 15, 20 years, this idea that aging can be manipulated because for the longest time, uh, there was this idea that aging was set in stone. There was nothing you could do about it. You were born, you age, you die. That's it. We, we can't, we can't have an impact from the outside. And now you know, scientists know through a variety of experiments that that's not true and aging is plastic and it can be impacted through various you know, gene therapies and um, small molecules and things like that. And so, um, so it's really a matter of catching up. And this always happens with new technologies, catching up our uh, legislation and our policy to meet with the reality of, of science. I suspect there are people who would argue that the investment in cardiovascular disease research and cancer research and Alzheimer's research are, are all about, to a large extent, about age research. You could argue that, but they're not looking at it from, from the beginning. They're not looking at it from aging. They're looking at what happens downstream. And... Uh, you know, I think a lot of scientists would argue that you have to go a little bit further upstream but before you can actually solve the problem. Finally, the organization talks about the longevity information gap, namely a public and policy awareness of the connection between aging and chronic disease. Why is that a problem and how can that be addressed? Well, it is a problem. I guess, again, going back to my earlier comment that if for a long time we thought that aging was something we couldn't impact. We, we, we didn't have any agency over that. And, and we do. And I, th I think that most people probably don't realize that. I mean, they realize the power of medicine. They realize the power of science, but they don't quite realize that aging is something we might actually be able to slow down or even someday reverse. Um, and so um, there's a lot of education that needs to happen, not only for the general public, but also for our politicians who are making decisions about these things. The organization says it would like to see governments around the world prioritize keeping their citizens in excellent health for much longer. We collectively fail in so many ways with basics like good diets and exercise, environmental hazards and other measures. They may not get us to 150, but it may be a, uh, a more reliable way to benefit a broader population of people than growing replacement parts with stem cells. As you think about your agenda, what role do these types of issues play? Right. That's, that's a good question. Um, and we have, we have thought about that, um, you know, because you're right. Uh, there, it, there's a lot 
that still needs to be done on just the very basic stuff, like eating well and exercising and um, not becoming addicted to drugs. And like, there's all of these things that really um, can pull people down and, and they're very important things. Uh, but those are, those things are not our main focus. Um, if there's an organization that's uh, advocating for, you know, some kind of healthy living, you know, uh, uh, bills or policies or something, I, I think we would probably support it, but that's not going to be our focus. Our focus is really going to be on the radical um, radical longevity technologies that are really going to have a huge impact, like not just take us from 100 to 150, but maybe take us even past that, where we can um, really, really repair people's bodies rather than just slowing down the, the eventual decline. There have been studies that have shown a link between wealth and life expectancy. Related to that are, are questions of access and affordability. As we make these tremendous scientific advances to what role do you think access and affordability will play in the organization's agenda? Right. Well, that's very important. Access and affordability are incredibly important because already today there's really big gaps um, between the haves and the have-nots both within the United States and internationally in terms of, um, you know, how healthy and how long um, different populations get to live. And so um, I think, I think, and the organization I know uh, believes that we need to be very, very uh, cognizant of making sure that um, to whatever extent possible access to these health extending technologies is as, is as broad as possible. The organization is the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. You can find more at a4li.org. Sonia Arison, author, investor, and chair of the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. Sonia, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.